God, we thank you again so much for your presence. And we thank you for giving us an opportunity to to sit at your table and to feast at your word, God. You said uh, and reminded us last Sunday that to us it has been granted for us to know the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And that's why you've opened up our hearts and our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear and know and understand and even believe because of what you have revealed. That's why we have come tonight. And so we pray that our meeting not be in vain, but it will accomplish every purpose you've predestined even before the foundation of the world, that we may leave this place changed. We may leave this place thoroughly equipped for the good work you've called us to do, not only in this church, but beyond the four walls of the church as well. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said together. Amen. Amen. Well, again, this is our series called Sneak Peek. Sneak Peek. And it is as it sounds. We have been pulling back the veil. We have been going behind the curtain where God at least has been giving us a glimpse of the afterlife. God has been giving us a glimpse of what we can expect the day we leave this world and we enter the next world or the next life. And so what we've been doing is answering the four questions that prompted this particular series to begin with. Those four questions, if you remember, it is uh, where did pre-cross Christians go when they died? Uh, What's up with the lion laying down with the lamb? That's the one we answered last week. Had a good time with that one. Uh, Today, what is purgatory? And is it real? And then question four, if I deny Jesus in order to save my life, will I go to hell or will God understand? So those are the four questions we've been answering. We've already answered the first two. And so now we're on to question number three. Tonight's question is all about purgatory. Okay. now let me give you a quick disclaimer before we get into this. I know and understand that it is Catholicism or the Catholic Church that usually uh, preaches on purgatory or the belief about purgatory. Uh, But I don't believe it is uh, isolated to the Catholic Church. I think there are other religions and other beliefs that also will believe there is some form of mediation from this life to the life to come. And so we don't want to pick on any Catholics. We don't want to talk about any Catholics. I know there may be somebody in here that you are an ex-Catholic or maybe you consider yourself to still be a Catholic. Certainly you may have friends and family members who are Catholics. And I want you to know from my heart, I'm not here to talk about Catholics. I'm not here to to put anybody down. We're not here to come against a religion. We're here to come or address a particular doctrine. Okay, because no matter what religion, no matter what church, no matter what group, no matter what people are presenting the message, it's the message that we need to address. Okay, not the group, not the people. It's the message that we need to address. So that is what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about the doctrine or the teaching or the belief on purgatory. Okay, we're going to answer these questions. What is it? What is it? Maybe you're not Catholic or you never have been a Catholic. You don't really know even what purgatory is. You never heard of that before. We're going to discuss what it is tonight. We're going to talk about whether or not it is real. 
And when we say real, we mean is it scriptural? Can you find it in scripture? Is it biblical? Is it in line with the precepts and principles and and the teachings of the Holy Bible? And then if not, where does this idea of purgatory come from? That is what we're going to discuss today. I remember when I was probably about maybe nine or ten years old, we used to have an amusement park here in, in Corpus Christi. Uh, it was here all the time, so it was kind of like butt days, but it was here all the time. It was called Magic Isles. Anybody remember Magic Isles? Okay. I remember Magic Isles, and I remember when I was about nine or ten years old, finally being able to ride some of the big rides. And I go to this particular ride, I believe it was the zipper, okay? And I get in line for the zipper, and right before I'm ready to get on that line, uh, the carnival guy who's working it, he says, buddy, you sure you want to get on this ride? Because it's scarier than hell. You know how carnival people act, right? How they talk. <laughs> this ride's scarier than hell, you know? It's <laughs> like, yeah, I want to get on. So I get on the zipper, I, I go through the ride, and I get off, and he says, well, what'd you think? Yeah, it was scary. I told you, I told you it was scarier than hell, <laughs> And so after I get done with Magic Isles and I get home, I remember going to my mom and I telling her the rides that I rode. And I told her this particular ride. And I said, yeah, the guy who was there, he said it was scarier than hell. And I was like, yeah, it was. When I rode that ride, I said, yeah, it was scarier than hell. And my mom looked at me and she said, son, <laughs> there is nothing <laughs> scarier than hell. Okay, There is absolutely Nothing <laughs> that is scared out. And to this day, I was probably about nine or ten years old. To this day, I still remember that conversation. I remember the ride. I remember Magic Isles. I remember having that conversation with my mom and she telling me there is nothing that is scarier than hell. And if you know and understand what hell is and what hell has to offer to those who will end up there uh, for their e- eternity... You would never wish anybody to go to hell. <laughs> you see these people on TV all the time. They need to go to hell and go to hell. You would never wish, not even on your worst enemy, <laughs> somebody to go to hell. We have already talked about the intricacies or the details of what hell is and and what hell brings to those who end up there. And so we're not going to rehash all of that, but just of the, the immense torment that is there. And it's not only just the physical, it is, it is the psychological, it is, it is the, the loneliness, the darkness, the absence of the goodness or manifest presence of God. And it is something that no one here on earth can know and fathom or even understand. Because by default, we are all able to receive some aspect of God's goodness. Some aspect of the manifest presence of God simply by being here. Because God says, I cause the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. My sun shines on the wicked and the righteous. So here, I don't care how much of an atheist you are, you are still able to receive some aspect of God's presence, some aspect of God's goodness. But in hell, that is not the case. 
The reason why hell is the scariest place on earth because that is not the case. Hell is the place where there is no manifest presence of God. And I say manifest presence because we know that God is omnipresent. God is all places at all times. That's why the psalmist said, where can I go to escape your presence? <laughs> if I ascend into heaven, you are there. But guess what? Even if I make my bed in hell, behold, I will find you there. He is talking about the omnipresence of God. But there is a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. <laughs> God's omnipresence is simply he is at all places at all times because he is the eternal God. But that doesn't mean just because his omnipresence is there that his manifest presence shows up. No, the manifest presence of God is you knowing that God is there. <laughs> That's why God can be in your home, but you never know it. <laughs> God can be in your marriage, but you never know it. God can be in your church, but you never know it. Because unless his presence manifests itself, unless he shows up, you will never be able to experience the goodness and the presence of almighty God. And that's what makes hell, hell. That's what makes hell, Hell, that's what makes hell the scariest place there is because it is the absence of the manifest presence of God. There is absolutely no good at all whatsoever found in hell. And so knowing that about hell and all that it comes with it, you can understand why someone would want to come up with the idea of purgatory. <laughs> You can understand it. If you know about hell and you understand hell and you believe in what the Bible talks about hell, you can then understand why someone would come up with the idea of something called purgatory. But just because you want it to be true, <laughs> doesn't make it true. <laughs> you may want it to be true because you don't know. I may end up there. <laughs> I may not be able to have enough good to, to overcome my bad and I may end up there. So just in case I end up there, I got to have a way of escape. I got to have a way out. So just because you want that to be true doesn't necessarily make it true. You know, we used to play the game Monopoly growing up. You remember Monopoly? And every now and then you would land in jail, right? <laughs> Or you would pull a card that says, go directly to jail, okay? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly to jail. And you did, okay? But you didn't stop playing once you went to jail. The game wasn't over for you just because you went to jail. Why? Because you knew you had another turn coming. <laughs> and when your turn came up again, you were going to be able to draw a card again. You were going to be able to get out of the jail you were in. So you continue to play. It is the same way with real jail. Okay? In real jail, there is a limit to the time someone will serve. We call it the maximum time for that crime. Right. It's two to 10 years or 15 or 20 years max. That is the statute of the punishment for the crime that someone commits. But then you have other crimes 
where there is no limit. <laughs> now, there is no limit, okay? To some crimes, there is no limit. You will receive life without parole. Life without the possibility of ever getting out. And when it comes to hell, the sentence is the same. When it comes to hell, those who will be there, those who will end up there, the sentence is the same. It is life without parole or life without limit, which then, of course, poses a problem with the idea or teaching of purgatory. So that's what we want to discuss today, and I want to look at part six of our series, Sneak Peek, and we're going to entitle this one, if you're taking notes, Life Without Limit. Life Without Limit. This is the problem with purgatory. Now, as we said before, what God is showing us as he has given us a glimpse of the afterlife, a glimpse of what's on the other side of the curtain or the veil, we now understand after this life, there is no cessation. There is no cessation. You don't just die and cease to exist, cease to live, and that's it. No, there is no cessation. There is no annihilation. You don't go and, and suffer for a while, and after a while, after time is up, then God simply annihilates you from existing. There is no annihilation. There is no reincarnation, according to Scripture. You don't get to come back to this life. You don't come back to this world. There is no reincarnation. So because there is no cessation, there is no annihilation, there is no reincarnation, and guess what? That means there's also no mediation. There is no mediation, and that's exactly what purgatory is. Purgatory is mediation between this life and the life to come. It is mediation between damnation and glorification. It is mediation. But just like there is no cessation, just like there is no annihilation, just like there is no reincarnation, there is no mediation either. We say, well, how do you know that? How do you know, pastor, that there is no mediation, there is no purgatory? Well, the story that we looked at that Jesus gave us was in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Okay? We looked at the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we said, we do believe this is an actual story. This is an actual event. Why do we say that? Because God gives names in this story. Lazarus is mentioned. Abraham is mentioned. No other parable in all of the Gospels does God give a name in the parable. He always talks about there once was a man, there once was a farmer, there once was a king, there once was a woman. Never does he give a name. But in this particular story, he gives a name, which lets us know that this is an actual story. But as we said before, if you don't agree with that, you don't believe that, you feel Luke 16 is a parable, well, it still doesn't take away the truth that God is describing here. Remember the purpose of parables. The purpose of parables was to uh, illustrate a greater truth. 
Okay, the kingdom of heaven is like. So parables are used to express or illustrate a greater truth. So even if you believe that Luke 16 is a parable, it does not take away from what God is saying about at the afterlife. Okay. But if you go to Luke 16 and you read through that story, you see that there is no cessation, annihilation, reincarnation, or even mediation. How do we know that? Well, because, number one, uh, when the rich man lifts up his eyes in hell, he looks afar off and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom being comforted. And he cries out to Father Abraham and says, send Lazarus to me that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. The response from Abraham to the rich man was, no, you remember how good you had it in your life and how bad Lazarus had it in his life. He goes through all the things of uh, uh, how they had it and how they lived in the life that they had. But then notice in verse 26 why this can't happen. In verse 26 of Luke 16, Abraham tells the rich rich man this, and besides all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Watch this. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. (laughs) Not that they will not. Abraham said they cannot. Those who even if they wanted to pass from here to you because of this great gulf that is fixed between us, they cannot pass to you. He didn't stop there. He says, nor can those from there pass to us. Translation, no mediation. Translation, no purgatory, no in between. Once you are in, you are in. (laughs) Once you are in, you are in. There is no getting out. As we said, it's like the uh, Roach Motel, okay? You check in, but you will not check out, okay? (laughs) That is hell, okay? There is a great gulf, there's a great chasm. We can't cross over to get to you. You can't cross over to get to us because of it. There is no mediation. So you say then, well, then why do some believe that there is? Why do some say that there is mediation? Why do some say that there is such a thing called purgatory where, yeah, somebody may end up in hell, but they don't really have to stay there. They can cross over to the other side eventually. Why do some people say that then? Well, a few reasons. Number one, as we had the question before a few weeks ago, if we would be honest with each other, it is hard for us to picture that anybody would be in torment for eternity. Okay, now I don't care how much of a Christian you are, how much of the love of God you have in your heart. If you really have love and compassion in your heart, you have to admit it is hard for you, it is hard for me to picture somebody being in torment forever. Where there is no end in sight. It is hard for us to picture that. It is hard for us to imagine that. And so we'd rather have an escape clause mixed into that. 
Not only is it hard for us to picture someone being in torment for all of eternity, it is hard for us to picture a loving God allowing that. If we see and and know and understand the God that we serve, that not only does he love, but he is love. He is full of grace and mercy and compassion that fails not. It is hard for us to imagine or picture, uh, uh, picture a loving God who would allow someone to be tormented for all of eternity. That's another reason why purgatory is so interesting to us. Third reason, because purgatory gives us hope. (laughs) Because purgatory gives us hope. The torment that people will experience in hell, as we said, is not just physical. It is mental. It is psychological. But God says it is a place where the worm never dies. It is a place where something is going to be eating at them and eating at them and eating at them for all of eternity. And these are the things I believe that will be eating at everyone who is in hell. Okay, The first thing that is going to be eating at them is this. Number one, I didn't have to be here. I didn't have to be here. Remember, the rich man remembered his life. He remembered his brothers. He remembered that his brothers are just like him and they're right behind him. So you or whoever is there is going to be able to recall and remember every time you heard the gospel. Every time you heard the message of God's grace and God's mercy extended to you and every time you rejected it, every time you ignored it, every time you wanted to do your own thing, you're going to remember that and you're going to have that eat at you for all eternity. I didn't have to be here. I didn't have to be here. God gave me chance. He gave me opportunity. He gave me chance after chance after chance. I did not have to be here. This did not have to be my reality, but yet it is. That is going to eat at them for all eternity. Let me tell you the second thing that's going to eat at them. After they come to the realization that they didn't have to be here, they then are going to come to the realization or conclusion that this is forever. (laughs) This, This is forever. There is no getting out. There is no uh, time served. There is no parole. There is no good behavior. There is none of that. Once they realize I didn't have to be here, the second thought is, and this is forever. It's forever. So purgatory or the idea of purgatory gives us hope because hope is one of the most important things somebody can have in this life. Hope. Hope for a future. Hope for a better tomorrow. When you lose hope, you lose the will to continue. Okay? If you don't have hope for a better marriage, you will quit your marriage. You don't have hope for a better church or ministry, you will quit the ministry. If you don't have hope for a better future or a better tomorrow or a better job, you will quit. But when you have hope that I know it can get better, I know it's going to get better, I know there's an end to this suffering, it will cause you to continue. That's why people in jail, where they've been given a sentence, what will they do with a calendar? They will begin to X out the days, right? What are they doing? They are counting down to the day they get out. 
They are counting down. They're saying there is hope for me that one day I'm getting out of here. One day this suffering is going to come to an end. So let me count down the days until I get to that point. Well, in hell, there is no calendar. In hell, there is no counting. So we come up with the idea of purgatory because purgatory at least gives us hope. But the last reason I believe that purgatory is taught as truth, even though it is not, is probably one of the saddest reasons. And that is, unfortunately, for profit. For profit. Not prophecy as we're talking about on Sundays. <laughs> prophecy as in, or profit as in dollars. Okay? Money. It is something that is used to swindle people out of their money. If I talk about purgatory and you know your loved one wasn't right with God and you know your loved one lived a lifestyle of sin and you know your loved one never came to church and your loved one never did in this, you know where they are, so give me some money so I can pray for them. <laughs> give me some money so I can mention them at mass. Give me some money so we can get them out of there because you know that's where they are and they swindle people out of their money. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine these people who use the idea of purgatory ending up in hell and wishing that it was true, even though they knew it wasn't? <laughs> All their lives, they were preaching and teaching in purgatory to for their own selfish gain. And now that they've ended up there, they wish to God what they were saying was true. But now they know it is not. These are the reasons why I believe the idea or the teaching or the doctrine of purgatory comes to play in the church. But there are two words that you need to know and understand. That is, of course, purgatory and the gospel. Okay? Purgatory and the gospel. They are antithetical to one another. Okay? The idea of purgatory and the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are antithetical to one another. If purgatory is true, the gospel cannot be. Okay? If purgatory is real, if purgatory is true, the gospel cannot be. <laughs> but if the gospel is true, that means purgatory cannot be true. And you will see why as we explain what purgatory actually is. What is then purgatory? Well, it means like it sounds. You say the word purgatory, what are you hearing? What root word are you hearing? Purge. Purge. As in get rid of. Okay? That's where the idea or the word purgatory comes from. It means to purge. It means to get rid of. It is a Latin verb that means to cleanse or to purify. So to purge. Purgatory. To purge. To get rid of. To cleanse. To purify. So what exactly would you be purging? What exactly would you be getting rid of? What exactly would you be becoming clean from? 
or purified from? Can anybody take a guess? Sin. It's not not too hard, not too difficult. (laughs) What you would be purging in purgatory is sin. What you would be getting clean from and purified from is sin. What you would be getting rid of is sin. You say, well, how would that work exactly? Well, a few ways, a few teachings of how purgatory works. When one dies and ends up in hell, they will be in a place where sin is cleaned up or where sin is worked off or where one waits to be prayed out. Okay, Those are the three main teachings of purgatory. It's where one would go to get cleaned up or where one would go to work off their sin, or where one will wait to be prayed out, okay? Cleaned up, worked off, or prayed out, okay? Cleaned up, the way it works, they will say, well, it is the fire of hell that will clean you. It is the fire of hell that will purify you. Just like if you take gold and you purify it with fire, what you are doing is you're purifying it from all the impurities, all the dirt, all the things that aren't gold. You are taking those out or getting rid of those impurities with the flame, with the fire. Well, they will say the same way. If you have sin on you, you can't go to heaven with that sin. So God is going to send you to hell so that the flames may clean you. The flames may purify you. The flames may get rid of that sin so that once you're clean, once you're purified, then he will take you to heaven. Or (laughs) purgatory is a place where you can work that sin off. (laughs) Now, you know you didn't live right. You know you didn't go to church. You know you didn't pray. You know you didn't give. You know you didn't serve. You did all kinds of things. Well, now you're going to be sent to hell so you can work all that stuff off you. You got to pay all that back. You got to work it all off. And when you've paid it all off and you don't owe any more for your sin, then God will take you from hell and allow you to go to heaven. You can work it off. Or three, (laughs) it is where you will wait to be prayed out. You, you, you end up in hell because you, you never uh, did what was right and what was good and what was holy. And so now you've died and you've gone to hell. But no worries, as long as you have loved ones, <laughs> as long as you were part of the church, as long as you got friends and family members who loved you and cared about you, no worries because they can pray you out. And when you die, we will have a service, we will mention your name, and we will pray you out of that hell, and you will go into glory with God. That is the teaching on purgatory. Okay? Now, for you Bible scholars out there, if you've been coming to Believe Church for any period of time, you know and you can see there's a lot of things wrong with that teaching. A lot of things wrong <laughs> With that doctrine, let's start off with the last one, being prayed out. Okay. Well, that would be great if you have family members. That would be great if you had friends. <laughs> that would be great if you had loved ones who loved you and cared about you when you died. But what about somebody who didn't have that? What if somebody died alone? <laughs> 
What if somebody died having no family members, no friends, nobody, nobody even knew that they died? What about them? You mean to tell me God has come up with a way where some people, as long as you have family, as long as you have friends, you can be prayed out. But if you don't have any family, if you don't have any friends, too bad, so sad. You mean to tell me that's righteousness with God? That is justice with God? Number two, we know through scripture that we are not purified from the fire of hell. We are purified by the lamb or the blood of the lamb. That is how we are purified. In Hebrews 10, 8, the whole chapter talks about this. Let me give you a couple of verses. Hebrews 10, 8 says this. Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin. Watch this. You did not desire. (laughs) Hebrews 10, 8. Sacrifice and offering burnt offerings even, and offerings for sin you, God, did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. Translation, that's not what God was looking for. God was not looking for offerings. He was not looking for sacrifice. He was not looking for burnt offerings or anything else for your sin. That was not in the plan of God, okay? God didn't desire that, nor did God... Uh, was God pleased by that? He said, which are offered according to the law. Verse 9. Then he said, God said, Jesus said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. How we been sanctified, how we been purified, how we been cleansed by that will of Jesus Christ coming to be the sacrifice for us. It is that way and that way only <laughs> is anybody ever cleansed or purified or purged from their sin. It's not by your works. It is not by the fire of hell. It is not by people praying for you. If you're going to have your sins purged, if you're going to be cleansed, if you're going to be purified, it is solely and only by Jesus Christ making the decision to come to this world and die in our place. That is the only way you will have your sins purged from you. Not by the fire of hell, but by the blood of the lamb what else is wrong with this doctrine well if it could be worked off hear me church if your sins could be worked off in hell then what did Christ's work accomplish (laughs) if you could work off your sin (laughs) then what did the work of Jesus Christ in the cross accomplish then That's why Galatians 2.21 says this, I do not set aside the grace of God. Why? For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If all I had to do was 
keep a bunch of laws, obey a bunch of rules and commandments in order to be made righteous, in order to be made right in the eyes of God and make heaven my home, then please tell me, why did Jesus Christ have to come then? If all I had to do was work off my sin myself, that was a trip that Jesus could have kept. (laughs) That was a wasted trip that Jesus spent. If if we can work off our sin, whether here on this earth or in hell, then Christ died in vain. And that is part of this particular teaching. They, yeah, they'll say, yes, we do believe in Jesus Christ. We do believe in his sacrifice. We do believe in the finished work of the cross. But we also believe in what you got to do with that. <laughs> so it is Christ and what you're going to add to it. No, you cannot add anything to what Jesus did. You cannot add a single thing to what Jesus Christ did, what he accomplished on the cross. When he said it is finished, that's what he meant. It is finished. There is no more to do. There is nothing else to add. It's done. (laughs) It is not Christ and what you're going to (laughs) do. Christ and you being a good person. Christ and you coming to church. Christ and you reading your Bible. Christ and you serving. Christ and you. No, it is Christ alone. Faith alone and Christ alone. (laughs) It is by his work that we are purged from our sins. So the problem with purgatory is simple. It is based on works when we are saved by grace. That is the ultimate problem with purgatory. It is based on works, whether it's praying you out or you working it off or you being cleansed by the the flames of of hell. It is works based rather than grace that we have been saved. Romans 11, 6, you don't have to turn there, but this is what it says. Either it's grace or it's works, but it cannot be both. (laughs) Either it is grace (laughs) that you are saved, righteous, made right with God. Or it is by works that you are saved, righteous, made right with God. But it is not both. It cannot be both because one will cancel out the other. (laughs) If it's grace, it can't be works. And otherwise, works, it works any longer. And if it's works, well, then it can't be grace. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Why? Because works means it's a wage. Works means, God, you now owe me something. (laughs) I worked for this. I earned this. I deserve this. So then it cannot be grace then because you're saying you've earned it. You've worked for it. Grace by definition is unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't pay for it. All you can do is receive it and say thank you. (laughs) But work says, no, I got to earn this thing. I got to work for this thing so that God may owe me something. No, God says either it's by grace or it's by works, but it cannot be both. And purgatory tries to mix the two. Purgatory tries to say, yes, it's by what Jesus did, but it's also now what you got to do as well. Wrong. (laughs) One will cancel out the other. So in Ephesians 2.8, it says, as you know the scripture, for by grace we have been saved. For by grace we have been saved. Not of ourselves, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. When you stand before God and he allows you to come into heaven, you won't be able to give not one reason why he should let you in, but because you've been piggybacking on Jesus Christ, okay? You can't say, well, because I was a good person. Well, because I went to church every Sunday. Well, because I prayed, because I gave, because I served. No, no, (laughs) none of those things will get you there. It is only by being found in Christ and Christ being in you. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are made righteous. It is by grace that we're able to make heaven our home. It is grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So the idea of purgatory is not scriptural, which means you can't find me not one scripture to back up purgatory, not one. It is not biblical, which means it is not consistent with the teachings of the word of God. It is not scriptural. It is not biblical. It is only wishful. (laughs) It is only wishful thinking. And not only that, it goes even deeper than that, this idea of purgatory. It's not something cute and you can believe it if you want. I don't have to believe. No, it goes even deeper there. I believe purgatory is an offense to God. (laughs) Purgatory is an offense to God because what you're telling God, what you're telling Jesus Christ is your work is insufficient. (laughs) What you did on the cross wasn't enough. It's what now I have to do. To purge my sin. It's now what I have to do to inherit salvation. So it is an offense to Jesus Christ to believe in this idea of purgatory. When I was growing up, I remember watching a movie on ABC. It was called Escape from Alcatraz. Y'all remember that with, uh, who was it? Clint, Clint Eastwood, right? Escape from Alcatraz. And it was based on a true story, but the idea is this prison is unscapable. You can't escape this prison because even if you manage to get out of your cell and even if you manage to get uh, by the guards and even if you manage to get to the other side of this wall, once you got outside, there is a huge ocean waiting for you, okay? (laughs) That is far that is deep, that is cold, and that is shark infested, okay? (laughs) There is no getting out of this, okay? And so the idea of the movie was based on somebody who actually got out, but he was never found, he was never discovered. And they were saying, well, we don't know what happened to him, (laughs) but uh, unless he sprouted some wings, he he probably didn't make it, okay? Because of this great gulf (laughs) between Alcatraz and the land, okay? Well, God says that's what hell is. That is what the lake of fire is. There is a lake of fire that surrounds hell, surrounds this place where those who rejected Jesus Christ will be. And so they would tell you, no, you don't want to come to Alcatraz. (laughs) Any other prison but Alcatraz, the best way to escape it is simply to avoid it altogether. And that is God's advice to you tonight if you are banking on depending on something called purgatory you're going to be sadly mistaken when you get there 
God simply says, if you want to avoid this place called hell, if you want to avoid this lake of fire, the best way to escape it is to avoid it all together. Don't even end up there because once you are in, it is life without limit. Amen. Go ahead, Lord, a hand for his word, if you will, please.